Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for today is from the first chapter of St. John. These words you heard a moment ago, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. So far our text, dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a phrase that's long been popular with Americans, especially in the entertainment industry. You may call your next witness. In these United States, we've long been fascinated by the courtroom drama. Recall how often some of you have heard that phrase in bygone television series. You may call your next witness. Those bygone series like Perry Mason, or more recently, L.A. Law. But in more recent times, too, the phrase has remained commonplace in a wide variety of television programs, TV courtroom dramas like the popular series Law and Order in all of its manifestations, or there's The Practice or Boston Legal with William Shatner, <coughs> Crossing Jordan, you'll still find Matlock with Andy Griffith holding forth in syndication. Of course, you can hear the phrase in spades on certain cable TV channels, too. Channels like Court TV programming dedicated exclusively to the activity of our nation's judicial system. And then there's been no shortage of the use of the phrase lately due to a number of celebrity trials out there that come to us, are brought to us throughout the day across our airwaves and through our cable. And of course, as it always has been, the phrase, you may call your next witness, continues to be a favorite on the silver screen, too, as Hollywood continues to satisfy our appetite for those big screen courtroom dramas, whether you've got 12 angry men or a few good men. It's even found its way into the holiday classics. Recall, for instance, the old Christmas favorite Miracle on 34th Street. Maybe you've seen it already this season. Miracle on 34th Street in which good old Saint Nick finds himself on trial because he's charged with impersonating the real deal. You may call your next witness. Consider our sermon text for a moment. And I think you'll conclude that this is exactly what God was doing. It's exactly what God was doing in John the Baptist. He was calling his next witness. He was bringing another voice onto the stand to testify for all to hear of the Christ who was to come. Now the list of witnesses was already quite lengthy. Hundreds of years indeed in the making. Recall there was Moses who called to take the stand foretold of the coming prophet who would eclipse all other prophets. We even heard a reference to it in our gospel reading today. The prophet. Moses, who scripture says wrote of Christ. There was Job, who with nearly uncontained enthusiasm gave testimony of his Redeemer who lives, who was to come. There was David, who took the stand, giving testimony in chillingly accurate detail about the death of the Messiah, even preciting, not reciting, but preciting some of the very words that the Messiah would utter from the cross. And of course, there was Isaiah whose testimony we've been hearing and considering during our weeks of Advent, not only Wednesday nights, but certainly Sundays as well. Isaiah, 
whose testimony, perhaps more fully than any other, gave witness to the person and the purpose of the Messiah to come. Born of a virgin, a branch from the stem of Jesse's line, Isaiah, who testified to us, even this morning you heard him say that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And he'd bring good news, this Messiah, and and bind the brokenhearted, proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, and unshackle the prisoners. Isaiah, who testified that we would esteem this one smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. And we did. Upon his cross, we did. And yet as a lamb before its shearer is silent, Isaiah said he would open not his mouth. And he didn't. And don't forget all the minor players too. The minor players who had big things to say as they took the stand. Micah, who testified that the Christ would come from Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though she be little among the clans of Judah, or there was Zechariah who gave testimony that he would come riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that they would then look upon him whom they pierced. And there was Daniel, and there was Haggai, and there was Malachi, and the list of witnesses goes on and on. At their God-appointed times, they had all taken the stand to give the Spirit-inspired truth, the whole truth, Nothing but the truth concerning the coming Christ. And now, calling his next witness, God sent John to take the stand. For so we're told in our text, there came a man who was sent from God, his name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning the light. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to that light. And so... In the midst of the arid and parched wilderness beyond the Jordan, there John took the stand. His testimony corroborated it. It confirmed the testimony of prophetic voices, and yet his was different. This particular witness gave testimony unlike any yet given. And the difference is enough to make anyone sit up and take note and pay close attention. Because you see, cross-examined thoroughly by those priests and Levites sent to John. John, you see, testified not of the Christ who was to come. He testified of the Christ who already is here. There stands one among you, John said, whom you do not know. Now that's a game changer, as they say. That's a game changer. It's the kind of testimony that draws, that compels a collective gasp from the courtroom crowd. There stands one among you whom you do not know. And how very pertinent John's testimony is for the world yet today. Pertinent to you, O world at large, because there stands the same one still among you today, and yet you know him not. Would that the words of the evangelist had flickered out, But they burned on and still do because he comes still to his own world of man and his own do not receive him. They don't even know that he's there. Like blind men, so said Isaiah, is the sin-darkened world groping in spiritual darkness. Though the light of noonday shines bright, yet seeing, O world, you do not see him. 
who is among you. Seeing blindly, you do not see, O world, that the light of the world shines in your darkness from his altar. From his altars and from his pulpits and his fonts and his lecterns. Here he shines in your darkness, O world. Here he stands among you, but you know him not, O world. How very pertinent John's testimony still is for Christians yet today. Pertinent for us Christians too because it's, it's easy for us to forget and, and we all do it. We all forget how it is that he does stand here shining among us. It's in that word. It's in that word that you encountered, or rather I should say in that word that encountered you just moments ago. It is, as the church confesses, the viva vox Jesu, the living voice of Jesus. Jesus the Christ, and mark it well today, friends, Jesus Christ here has spoken to you. The Christ spoke to you. You sat, and then you stood, and he spoke. Now your pastor reads, as he has been for years now, and as you've, as you've heard it for years. The pastor reads, but the words aren't his. He's merely the messenger. And should it matter to us that God channels his living voice through a messenger? It certainly didn't matter to the Christmas shepherds, who hearing the angelic voice, the God sent angelic voice, they hastened to the manger. It certainly didn't matter to Mary that it was Gabriel that echoed the living voice of God, announcing unto her her motherly status, the Theotokos, the God-bearer. It mattered none to those who heard and received John's testimony. Today, I tell you, here you have encountered and do encounter the living incarnate God. And so, dear Moses, remove those metaphoric sandals. Remove all sandals of secularity, all sandals of nonchalance, for the I am is here. The place upon which you stand is holy ground. The I am stands here among you in his word, in his water, body and blood, or do we, dear Christians, so easily forget? Do we live life, dear Christians, as if he doesn't stand and dwell among us, though invisibly yet actually? Remember the living voice of God spoken through the exhortation of Paul in the epistle reading today? He said, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil, but do we? We don't. Do we live as if he's not among us to see that which is done in secrecy, as if he doesn't know the secret chambers of the heart? These things we do. And Isaiah tells us our sins testify against us. That is the testimony of John. It is the testimony of John. It is the truth for which we all need to repent. It is the truth, but it's not the whole truth. You see, the testimony of this star witness on the stand is not yet complete. Cross examined the prosecuting priests and Levites, inquired, Who are you then, John? Under divine oath, John confesses, and he does not deny, but confesses, I am not the Christ. 
And then, almost as if the exchange required more, and because John was sent by God to testify to more, and then he says, as if the legal counsel in the courtroom asks, well then, do you see here among us, do you see the person in question here in the courtroom? As if. Then as a bold and completely confident witness upon the stand might lean forward in his chair, And with a gesture of utmost certainty, raise his hand and identify that one in question. So John did lift his head and raise his voice in his hand and point squarely at Jesus of Nazareth and say, Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, O world. Behold, O Christian. Let the record show who the witness has identified. And in fact, I give you his very sworn affidavit. We have it in the first chapter of John, and I quote John the Baptist said, I have seen and testified that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Now, of course, it's true. that when a witness on the stand identifies one in the courtroom, it's usually the charged defendant that's being identified. Don't you see? That's the beauty and the wonder of it all. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is become the charged. He is the world's defendant. Barabbas, you're unshackled. You're free to go. God sentenced His Son instead. And indeed, while that Good Friday Calvary courtroom drama and sentence was unfolding here on earth, the Christ was simultaneously being judged and found guilty of every indictment, of every sin, of every person, of every age, by the highest and most supreme court in heaven where God is judged. For you see, as Paul says it, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ the guilty. Luther loved the thought. He said, and all the prophets saw this, Luther said. They saw that the Christ was to become the greatest thief and greatest murderer and greatest adulterer and robber and desecrator, blasphemer that ever there there has been anywhere in the world. And now Luther said he is not the son of God born of the virgin. No, he is a sinner. Now he has and bears the sin of Paul, the blasphemer, Peter, the one who denied Christ, David, who was an adulterer and murderer. This is why, Luther says, finally, John the Baptist called Christ the Lamb of God. He is, of course, innocent because he is the Lamb of God, but because he bears the sins of the world, his innocence is pressed down with the sins and guilt of the entire world. Whatever sins... I, Luther says, or you, and all of us have committed or may commit in the future, they are as much Christ's, as much Christ's own as if he himself had committed them. He knew no sin, but became yours for you, and me for mine, and it's done. It's done. For let the record show that God himself has said, it is finished. So now who shall bring a charge against God's own? 
who would dare? For it is God who is justified, and he is judge. John was dismissed from the stand. He testified to the truth and the whole truth, and then he decreased so that the truth would increase. Today, through the apostolic record of Jesus' work and the signs that he's done, which Jesus himself said is a greater, greater witness than even John, through the apostolic record of Jesus' signs and works and through the sacramental work that he still does among us, the risen Lord now takes care of the testimony himself to all the world. In fact, Scripture says it. It says, There are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, through the word preached and read, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. And they do, don't they? Word and sacraments, they agree. You hear it. You're washed in it. You take and drink. Makes no difference. It's all Christ in your midst for the forgiveness of your sins. In every case needs a closing argument. And so the epistle writer then continues as if in a closing argument. And he says this, saving the strongest evidence for last. He says, if we believe the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. And this is the testimony of God. That he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Dear Christians, the testimony that you have heard and the evidence that you hear see, it speaks for itself. Jesus the Christ, who died for you, is still here at work among you, bringing every fruit of the cross to you, and forever will be your advocate with the Father. And so rest your case. Rest your case on the Lamb of God who has taken away all of your sin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.